0: Good morning. Turn to the book of Acts. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 11 this morning. Uh, You're such a good Christian, part 2, Acts 11. Uh, We're looking this morning at verse 24 to 30. Let's try something out, uh, get ourselves started here. I'm going to say a nickname, and you tell me who it is referring to. All right? Um, Can we do that? Okay. Shoeless Joe... Okay, that was like not even, I mean, his name's in the nickname, so, you know. Okay, uh, The Duke. All right, yeah, this is, needs to be more enthusiastic. If you know the answer, own it and be confident. Okay, uh, The Fab Five. Can anyone name all five of The Fab Five? It always gets tricky after those three. <laughs> okay let's all right (laughs) we're talking about college basketball right now um okay uh w okay all right the iron lady good jordan that's very good yeah um (laughs) the uh the prince of preachers okay yeah good job um it's feeling very informal right now um Okay, uh, the king of rock and roll. All right, The Rock. <laughs> yeah, uh, the king of pop. Um, the goat, his airness. That's right. That's right. Um, Stonewall. All right, it's Thomas Jackson. Um, Orange Man, bad. It's just, just we're just having fun, y'all. Sleepy Joe. All right, the Gipper. Yep, Iron Man. Okay, so, so we're good at nicknames. Um, so in the Bible, there are nicknames. So Son of Encouragement, it's Barnabas. Yeah, we learned that that was his nickname in Acts 4, but he plays a prominent role in the passage this morning. Um, the nickname Christians... In the Bible, it's the disciples at Antioch that we'll see in our passage this morning were first called, were nicknamed Christians. All right, so this is part two of You're Such a Christian. Um, Last week, we, we, we gave the outline, and it had all the points, all four points. And so if you brought your outline back, And you're just here to fill the rest in. Like, you did not need one when you got here this morning. You walked past that person at the door and you're like, no, thank you. I've got my outline. Is there anyone in that camp this morning? Anyone? Okay, I see Jack. Anyone else other than a lay elder? Okay. Oh, Bonnie. All right. Well, it's also Memorial Day, so this is a real prize, prize situation. You've come on Memorial Day. Obviously, that's not the thing to do always, but you've come on Memorial Day weekend, and also you brought your outline. So here's a book by Tim Keller for you. Uh, Justin, will you give this to Bonnie? Thank you. All right. Okay, we're going to stop having fun now. Um, so this is all taking place in Antioch. Um, Antioch was the third among the important cities in the Roman world. Um, Half a million people in population. Luke, the writer of Acts, he was from Antioch. And we looked last week and we continue this week at the committedness and the commitments. The committedness and the commitments of the people first called Christians, Luke writes the account of the birth of the church of Antioch in such a way that what jumps out at us from the account is their committedness. You see how committed they are to their own faith, to the faith of others, to the needs of others, to sharing the gospel, to being the people of God. They are committed. And so we looked last week at that they were committed to going. They were a going people. Uh, 2,577 miles were in those verses last week of going. 115 days of travel, 5.7 million steps for the gospel. So they were a people committed to going. They were a people committed to grace. Barnabas, we looked at this last week, Barnabas was sent, he was sent to Antioch from Jerusalem. They heard, it said the church in Jerusalem heard, it came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem that there was now a church of Greeks at Antioch. And they said, Barnabas, you need to go inspect the situation. So Barnabas grabs his magnifying glass and he goes to Antioch to see, could this be, could these really be real Christians? Really? Believing the gospel? The same gospel, the same Jesus that we now believe in in Jerusalem? That's what's happening. And it says that when Barnabas got there to Antioch, do you remember? He saw the grace of God. He saw the grace of God. In a sea of brand new Christians, people for sure still very worldly, yet they'd become Christians. He saw the grace of God. And so they were committed to going. They were committed to grace. And now we're looking this morning at the number three and number four. They're committed to growth and to generosity. So let me read to you verses 24 to 30, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go through, okay? Um, Acts 11, verse 24. For he, that's Barnabas, was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in judea and they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of barnabas and saul so let's 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 bow together and pray and ask god to to speak to us by his word this morning okay lord we thank you uh for your word uh this morning and we pray lord that you would uh Bless this church, Lord. Help us to um, hear from your word this morning. Help us to be a people who are looking for how you, Holy Spirit, your voice is speaking directly into our life and into our situation. Lord, we thank you for uh, the grace of God. We thank you uh, for how you are at work in our lives, Lord. We confess how we have not been like Barnabas, how we often do not see or we do not choose to look at the grace that is at work in and around us, Lord. And so forgive us of that, Lord, and transform us and help us to be a more encouraging people, a more um, outward-focused people, a more hopeful people. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Honestly, I had to tie my shoe. Just want to be real authentic with you guys. Was, I, ha, I would do the pastor kneel during prayer thing, but uh, that was just a I issue. So, okay, um, Acts 11 24 uh, through 30. Okay, um, you're such a Christian. We're looking at the committedness because they, they believed that commitment was worth doing, it was important. It wasn't fun or beneficial or better to be non committed so they were so committed we see that and then but it's not just that right you can be committed to the wrong things it's what they were committed to and so the first one this morning the third one in this passage but the first one this morning is committed to growth committed to growth and that is growth in Christ growth in Christ all right so look at verse 24 it says for he and this referring here to Barnabas for he was a Good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And so what Luke is doing here is he's talking about Barnabas, and he's saying, he's really explaining the why. If you're getting this book of Acts, and you're a Christian in the first century, you might wonder, well, why, did, why did Barnabas go to Antioch? Why was he willing to go? Why was he able To see grace and not just see the faults. Why was he such an encourager? What was it about him? What's the secret to Barnabas? If you could meet with him and he could just share with you and mentor you and tell you, like, here are my secrets. If you want to be a more encouraging Christian, here's some things. What is it? And Luke is answering that here. He's like, for he, there are three things, was a good man. Was a good man. He was, second, full of the Holy Spirit. Meaning his life was yielded to God. The Holy Spirit is not just filling him like a container, but it is filling Barnabas in a controlling, in a leading kind of way. When you're full, when your blood alcohol content is high and you have too much in you, you're under the control, the influence of that substance. So Barnabas here is full of the Holy Spirit, yielded to God, and full of faith. So here's a man who the New Testament calls a good man and a person who's full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, trust in God. A person who takes steps of faith, takes risk, but it's not risk to him because he's trusting God. So that's Barnabas. Now, a trivia fact, Barnabas is the only person in the entire book of Acts that is called good. But even though he's good, the best person, the best man or woman is a sinful person at best. He's not perfect. He's flawed. In fact, in Galatians, Paul will write to the Galatian church and tell a story about when Paul later, this is much later, comes back to Antioch. And he tells a story where Peter was separating from the Greek Christians and only eating with the Hebrew Christians because he didn't want to look bad. Cultural prejudice in the church. And Paul tells the story in Galatians 2. He says, I rebuked Peter because Peter wasn't perfect. And Paul wasn't perfect. But he even says in Galatians 2.13, listen, the rest of the Jews, that's Jewish Christians, acted hypocritically along with him. That's along with Peter. So that, here it is, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. It's like, it's like Paul's like, even Barnabas, y'all. That's what he's saying. I mean, it's kind of like the one person that is called good is still flawed and still in need of the mercy of God, of putting his faith solely in the work of Christ for him on the cross. Because no one is good enough to be good with God. We must be made right with God through the grace of God, through Jesus' death on the cross in our place and our faith in him. It's the only way. So Barnabas is a good man, but flawed, but good. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of faith. And now look at verse 24, the second half. It says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And so he's a fruitful leader in the church. Now verse 25. So here's the situation. So Barnabas has now come to Antioch, this new Gentile or Greek, or you could just say non-Jewish, non-Hebrew Christian church, the first of its kind. Barnabas comes with his magnifying glass He sees these are real Christians. The the grace of God is evident here. What does he think? Great, back to Jerusalem. Peace out. No. He thinks these people need to be established in their newfound faith in Christ. The importance of establishing a new believer in their walk. And so what does he do? What do What would you do? What does he do? Look at what he does in verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus. So he left town. They might've been thinking, where are you going? He left town. He went to Tarsus. It says to look for Saul. Now, I just want to tell you this. This is 10 years later than Acts 9. Uh, No one really knows what Saul was doing for 10 years. Sometimes we think everything in Acts happened in like a week. And it didn't. It's, It's spread out. And and that's not to imply Saul, Saul was doing something weird or something, but it's just it's an unrecorded period of his ministry. Ten years later, Barnabas goes and gets Saul from Tarsus, and it says, "Look, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch." Now I want you to think about it. Saul's been in in Tarsus for ten years. He's been in Tarsus for ten years. And Barnabas shows up and he's like, hey, um, there is a new Greek uh, Gentile Christian church in Antioch and your gifts are needed over there. And what does Saul do? He's like, let me pack my bag. Ten years of settledness. But there's a need in the church. And he's like, okay, I'm in. I'll go. I think we sometimes have this picture of calling, right? We, we think that Paul was just this guy that like only did what he was so self-determined to do. And then we say, well, there's people like Timothy where Timothy, you know, Paul told Timothy what to do. He like bossed him around all the time, right? And then, and then but Paul, you know, he's the alpha guy. He's the leader. He just, he hears from the Lord and he does what he feels called to do, what he feels called to do, what he has a piece about, you know? But here, Barnabas is like, hey, Saul, let's go. And he's like, cool, I'm going to take that as a sign that the Lord is calling me to go do that. And he's immediately unsettled, has, has a farewell time with whoever he was in community with at Tarsus, and he's off. There's a lot here that we can like reflect on. It says that when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, look at this, for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. So this it's humbling to see their committedness to establishing new believers. Like, they didn't just do a six-week study. A whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. We see the committedness and commitments of those who are first called Christians, and this commitment is committed to growth in Christ. Look how committed they are to growing. They meet for a year with Saul and Barnabas. Look how committed Barnabas is to them growing. He goes and gets Saul so that they can grow. Look how committed Saul is to them growing. He leaves whatever he was doing in Tarsus to go help this new, first of its kind, Greek church grow. Committed to growing. Barnabas doesn't just tell them To remain faithful to the Lord, he travels on a 10-day journey, 250 miles, to get a teaching teammate to help them grow. Barnabas and Saul invest a whole year. It's interesting. Barnabas also, you, you could talk about this too, he humbly defers to Paul. I don't don't know why. We don't know why. It could be because of a cultural fit. He thought, you know, I think Paul would be more skilled at ministering to these new Greek Christians. Let me go get him. It could be just gifting. He thought, you know, Paul, you're you're the more gifted at teaching. I, I want you to do it. But there's this deferring. In fact, if you study Acts leading up to their time at the church of Antioch, it's always Barnabas and Saul. And then in the book of Acts, it actually shifts from Acts 13 at a certain point for the rest of the book of Acts, you see it at least seven times, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. And I think you could really, you could really glean a lot from this. There's humility, there's, there's willingness to defer, It's about growth in Christ. It's not about Barnabas being the guy. It's about growth in Christ. It's not about whatever Saul was doing in Tarsus. It's about this new church in Antioch growing in Christ, commitment to growth. Growth in Christ. And then it says at the end of verse 26, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So this was not a self-given label. Like they did not have like a, a brainstorming session in the upper room in Jerusalem and get like a whiteboard out and sticky notes and kind of do some sort of, you know, name storming. They didn't Google names for new religious movement. And look at them the way we do when we're trying to name our kids or something. Like, no, they were named Christians by the people at Antioch. One scholar says Antioch was famous for their wit and their nicknaming skill. And probably they meant it in a little bit of a derogatory sense. Oh, you Christians. And yet, what a compliment. Like if we could somehow go into everyone in the world's minds and erase the nickname or the label of Christian, like just imagine if we could do that. Like if you could somehow go into everyone in the world's mind and just delete the word Christian. And so then they didn't have it and they were a blank slate. What nickname would the secular world give to the church they encounter today? To our church to what you represent about Christianity to them. If your family, neighbors, members of your family, co-workers, fellow students, had to suddenly speak at your funeral tomorrow, would they speak of your Christianity? Your obvious commitment to Christ and your evident growth in Christlikeness. What an honor to have the world accidentally compliment you with the nickname that implies that you are all about Christ. And that is what was happening here. It's really so profound that a guy who was nicknamed encouraged a church and the church got nicknamed. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Christians, Committed to growth at Antioch. Now, number four, committed to generosity. Committed to generosity. The committedness and commitments of the people first called Christians. We've seen um, growth this morning, but now generosity. And we're going to get to generosity. I want to do a quick uh, look at verses 27 and 28 because they set the stage. Verse 27, now in these days, prophets... That's plural, that's multiple, that's prophets, came down from Jerusalem. Now, they were headed north to Antioch, but it always says you're coming down from Jerusalem because it's down from Mount Zion. It's You're coming spiritually down from the high place of Jerusalem. You're going down because Jerusalem is on a mountain. You're going down to Antioch, even though you're headed north. So these prophets, they came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place. Make a note of this. You see, Luke is writing Acts. He also wrote Luke. He's writing Acts. He's writing to Theophilus. He's writing a careful you know, history of Christianity. And so he puts things in like this. This took place in the days of Claudius. Do you see that? He's he's planting it in real time, in real history, real Savior, real death on the cross, real resurrection, real empty tomb, real, real, real for our real lives. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so what's going on here is like some prophets came, and and they predicted a famine, and a famine that did happen. It's recorded in history took place in the days of Claudius. So this would be the equivalent of if in 2019 some prophets came to Raleigh and specifically to Fellowship Raleigh and asked us to donate in 95 masks for the church and for the Christians in New York City because something was going to happen in 2020. That's kind of the equivalent. These were people who were prophets, and it specifically says that they foretold. And so sometimes people say prophets only foretell, meaning they take the Bible and they say, thus says the Lord, I'm foretelling you what the word says. And that's totally true. That is what prophets do. That's prophesying. But prophets also foretell. And here we see that happening. And so just, I think it's helpful to ask the question, since we're here in these verses, Is this something that still happens? Is this something for the church today? What do you think? Rhetorical question. Good job on not answering. Um, Here's some verses, I think, to, to hold in tension. And I would just even challenge you, sometimes in the Christian life, you need to hold things in tension. Everything's not a contradiction to be solved. Some things are tensions to be managed. And so, so Ephesians 4:11, look at these verses. Ephesians 4:11 says, "He that's Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to the church." So that is, count them, five offices that Jesus gave to the early church as like spiritual giftings or offices. Do you see them there? Five. Apostles? Prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So, one more verse, Ephesians 2, verse 20. The foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Why do I say this? Because there were five active offices in the New Testament church Two of those, and only two, are said to be in the Bible, the foundation, apostles and prophets. While the other three are said to be, and implied to be, continuing, and ongoing, and very active. So the conclusion would be that apostleship and prophecy played a foundational role in the early church like that is the word that it it says foundation right foundational role this was before the bible this is before the new testament was canonized meaning closed meaning finished meaning done being written this is before that foundational role and once the foundation was laid and the scriptures were set the ongoing roles that were much more primary had to do with the scriptures, teaching, evangelizing, and pastoring people. That's, that's the teaching clearly of Scripture. So now, but we have to hold other verses in tension with this. First Corinthians 14, verse 1, says, Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Paul is telling this to the entire church at Corinth, not just those who held the office of prophet, to desire that spiritual gift. So we, we, we hold scriptures in tension with one another and we try to wrestle through it. And this is what I would say to you. I believe, I believe the gift of prophecy, even predictive prophecy, even special relevatory prophecy, I believe in the same way as Acts can be and still is active and operational in the church today. I do. However, I do not believe we should expect it to be as normal or frequent as we saw it in the early church because it was the foundation. And I also do not believe, and listen, this is very important, that we should ever emphasize it anywhere close to the same level as the leadership that God has given us in Scripture and even in godly pastors and leaders in our lives. Foundational prophets, apostles, ongoing, very prominent in our lives going forward, evangelists, teachers, pastors. Okay, that's that's the context of the generosity point. So now we're going to look at that point. Committed to generosity. So that takes us to verse 29. So the disciples determined, because remember, Agabus prophesied foretelling that there was going to be a famine in Judea. So the disciples, where are these disciples? Where are they? In Antioch. What culture are they? Greek. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. All right. So this is, there's really good stuff here on generosity. I want to give you actually seven very quick observations about the generosity of the Christians at Antioch, all right? It's not in the notes, but you can find a space for it if you want to take notes. Number 1, they were this generosity was self-determined. It was not exacted. Barnabas and Saul did not say, "Hey, there's a famine in Judea and so right now set up your online giving." you know, tithe is what you owe to God and an offering is what you give to Him above and beyond. I mean, it's just like a bunch of craziness, right? No, they didn't do any of that. It wasn't exacted. It was self-determined. It says, so the disciples, look, determined. It's like they determined. God loves a cheerful giver, a determined giver. It says, everyone According to his ability. So the, sec- so the first thing is it was self-determined, not exacted. The second thing is there was 100% participation. Every one, every Christian, every new Greek Christian in this place called Antioch, maybe had been a Christian for a year. Every single one of them participated, according to this verse. Wasn't there like at least a couple that are in the same situation as me right now, as I'm not giving? No, there wasn't 100% participation. But look, here's the third thing. It was according to their ability. And so while no one is is given a 0% ability because everyone was part of it, there are differences in abilities to be generous, and we see that in Antioch. So self-determined, 100% participation, according to each one's ability. And then look, their giving was impactful and project-oriented. It was about relief for the famine for the Christians in Judea. And I think that's important. That, That Saul and Barnabas and Agabus, this prophet, they set before the people a real need. I mean I think it's in part why we at our church try our best and we definitely don't do it perfect but we try our best to say on the other side of giving is changed lives and really just talk about the vision before us as we partner together financially in the gospel instead of just being like obey you know give like no it's about the project it's about the mission Now also I don't even know what number we're on so we can talk later their giving was to Christians. Their giving was to the church. Their giving was, of course, they gave to Saul and Barnabas, and by the hand of Saul and Barnabas, they brought it to the elders of the church in Judea, in Jerusalem. And so we see here this picture of In the heart of a Christian is the desire, yes, to reach the lost, the totally far from God, the non-Christian, for sure. And we should fund that, and we should be part of that with our finances. But also in the heart of Christians should be to care for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, watch this, especially to those who are of the household of faith is our generosity is our generosity especially toward the household of faith another one here an observation is their giving was delivered by Barnabas and Saul they trusted their leaders it was practical they're not all going to go to Jerusalem well i don't trust my leaders i'm going to go do it myself no it was practical their giving was toward a social concern a famine and let me point this out their giving was toward their brothers and sisters in christ who could not have been more culturally different from them they were giving as greek christians to jewish christians One scholar says, it is not an accident that the the Jerusalem recipients of the Antioch relief are called brothers. Because, you know, it's kind of like the point and then the point behind the point. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really the offering. Oh, yes, relief was needed, the famine was big, and and people need to be generous, absolutely. But it's like the subtext that, that Luke is really trying to show, and he's saying, look at this. Look at this, people from very different cultures and backgrounds loving each other because we are now one in Christ. And so generosity was a commitment of these Antioch Christians. It just was. And Luke is pointing that out to us here. And Jesus talked more about money than he spoke about faith and prayer combined in the Gospels. 11 of his 40 parables are about money or the use of money to teach a spiritual truth. And so hear me when I say this. Being a Christian. Being a Christian. Is way more. Way more than the giving of finances. Hello, gosh, I mean, geez, it's it's much more than that, all right? But friends, it's not less than that. Once a person's heart is thrilled with the extravagant and generous grace of God who gave his one and only son on the cross for you and for me. Once a person's heart is thrilled with the generosity of God, And once that same Christian's heart, their new heart that they've received from the Lord is filled with God's spirit and with faith and with tender love for the people of God and the purposes of God. Once these big things happen in our lives, and listen, those big things are called becoming a Christian, all right? Once those big things happen, it's automatic to want to be generous toward the work of God, toward the church, toward the gospel. And and I would even go so far as to say where generosity toward the gospel is absent, it's reasonable to question whether a person has encountered the generous grace of God in their heart of hearts. And so let this challenge us this morning. Are you an Antioch Christian? Are you a Barnabas Christian? Remember, Barnabas modeled generosity in Acts 4 already. No wonder the Antioch Christians learned about that. Does your generosity toward the work of God, toward the church, tell a story of your deep heart-level understanding of God's radical generosity toward you? And so you're such a Christian. That's what was going on at Antioch. Committedness and commitments to going, to grace, to growth, and to generosity. And so this morning, as we bow and close in prayer, I just want to challenge you, yes, to be inspired by the Antioch Christians, to be committed like them, to embrace the blessing of committedness, But, friends, let's be committed to the right things. Let's be a goer. Let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's be a goer. Let's be grace people. Let's be about growing in Christ and others growing in Christ. And let's be generous.